Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Hey, everybody, it's Jackie. You all know that I went back to school, right? Um, Well, recently in my class on the women in the New Testament, we had to give these four-minute presentations about something that intrigued us in the class reading, and they were amazing. And when I finished hearing all of them, I thought, oh my gosh, you guys have got to hear some of this. And so I asked two women if they'd be willing to share their intellectual work with us. And so on this episode, you're going to hear from Kylie, and she's speaking about living as a woman of faith in a female body. You know, it's a topic that's pretty important to me. But before you hear Kylie, I want to remind you that you can continue these conversations. You can ask questions, engage with me on the Jackie Always Unplugged Facebook group page. I'm going to be sharing my four-minute presentation there, not here. And also, if you're a woman who ministers, and I want to qualify that, that means you're paid, unpaid, you have a title, no title, you volunteer, you work at a parachurch, or you're on a staff, you can connect with other women who minister and gain skills for your work by attending the Inspired to Lead virtual conference on April 30th. And there I'll be speaking about how to live confidently in your body as a female who works in ministry. I'll post it here and then I'll, the link, and then I'll also put it on my Facebook page. And don't forget, if you want me to come your way and hang out with you and some friends, I can host a Jackie Always Unplugged in-person event. All you have to do is contact me at Jackie at the Marcella Project.com. Come, and I can come for the day, half day. We can do an overnight and we can dig into some of these spiritual issues, right? That are impacting your life, your friend's life. So let's talk about that. Also, if you're a woman, who, a woman who ministers, go to my website page, themarcellaproject.com, because there you can find that you can register and sign up for some mentoring with me, or you might like want to hire me to come help you do sermon prep or do it over Zoom, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes we get stuck as we're studying. But mostly I want to thank you for giving me your time and your mind, for engaging with me on these crucial issues that impact our lives as women and men of faith. And now, on to Kylie. So Kylie, welcome. I want to thank you. I know that you just had surgery, so you're a little groggy, but I have a funny feeling um, your 75% is most people's hundreds. So welcome to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
All right, so um, before we dive into your work that you did in our class, which I loved, and I want many, many, many other people to hear it, um, is I would love for you to share who you are and how you came to be at Northern Seminary, where we are in classes together. Yeah. Um, my name is Kylie Cassins, and I guess for a little bit of context, um, before hearing, you know, my story and my presentation, um, I grew up as a pastor's kid, actually double pastor's kid. Both of my parents are pastors. Ooh, that was my children. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so my parents, honestly, though, did a really great job of holding space for me and my brother, um, you know, to ask questions about faith and they allowed us to see a lot behind the curtain of ministry life. Um, and when we had questions about that, they really helped us navigate that well um, and navigate, I think, the tensions that we saw well. Um, so to me, it was a very natural transition into ministry myself because that's what was modeled um, and, you know, the life that my family lived together. So um, I studied pastoral ministries in undergrad and then. A couple months after I graduated, I moved to Kenya um, and served as a missionary there for five years. Um, so I came back to the States at the end of 2018, and now I work in the home office of the agency that I went to Kenya with. Um, I coordinate an internship program for them, so I work with college students in the U.S. Um, primarily and send them overseas to serve with our international campus ministries. Um, so I found Northern actually in a, a time of wandering, um, when I came back from Kenya and when I was in Kenya, I worked a lot in community development spaces. And so, um, when I came back, I was not in those kind of, those kinds of jobs or, um, ministries. And somehow I stumbled onto Northern, um, and their MA program in Christian community development. Um, and I'm three years in, so I have one year left, but it has really helped me find my footing a lot um, in the U.S. and kind of discern what kind of ministry I'm interested in participating in moving forward. Um, yeah, so that's how I I love it. Where I, I love it. I was going to ask what you did in Kenya, and where were you in Kenya? Do you, I, I've, I've actually been there, so I'm just curious. Yeah, um, I actually lived in Nairobi and served in primarily the Mothari Valley slums. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with an organization there, Kenyan run, Kenyan founded. Um, so got to be a, a part of a lot of different things they were doing, but yeah, primarily like urban ministries in Nairobi. That's awesome. Nairobi is such a fabulous city, but I, I love that. I don't, one of the things, gosh, let me just back up and say kudos to your parents. Um, please tell them I said way to go. I would hope yeah. my kids could say the same thing. I, I, I think they could, but I would, I don't know. I don't want to speak for them, you know, but it's, it's tough to be raised under two pastors um, and all that actually does go on behind the scenes. But then I love that you've gotten a global um, perspective of, of God, because I know what happened to us. My husband works in South Sudan. And so what happened to us when we started traveling and taking the kids to developing countries was uh, they would come back to this Western white suburban world and have to evaluate the theology and the Bible they were being taught and say, well, how does that apply to a person in the slums? How does that apply to women in high patriarchy? How does that apply to, right, different skin, different ethnicity, different religions? And yeah. so 
having a global perspective is very, very helpful, I think. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a great thing. Okay, so um, I would love for you to share um, what you gave to our class, your work. I call it intellectual work that you bestowed upon our class. And then afterwards, if you don't mind, I want to ask a couple questions about it. Yeah, sounds good. All right, fire away. Cool. Um, my body is currently physically unwell, and I've been doing a lot of reflecting about her. I've done a lot of work this year to connect to my body and actually see her. I've been working hard to better listen to my body and give her the things that she needs. She needs some physical things for sure, certain types of food, lots of water. She needs sleep and sunshine. She prefers warmer weather, but her brain and her heart need some things too. She needs support and acceptance. She needs to know that she's valued and valued for the full entirety of herself. She needs to know that she's honored and respected, that faith can be lived and expressed in her female body. Mm. I've been working to live fully in my body and for my mind and soul to be connected to her. And I want that fully living to include fully living in the church. Unfortunately, when I think about my experience, like many women in the world, I'm aware of all the times when I was not valued because of the body I'm in. A professor asked if I would be interested in a church secretary major when I expressed interest in ministry. Even though I was the only female pastoral ministries major and only one of two pastoral ministry majors in my graduating class, I was not invited to preach in the senior sermon series in chapel. I avoided ordination because they would ordain me permission but wouldn't ordain my mom, who's a pastor, and who had more experience and more education than the pastors with whom she served. I've asked myself regularly if I've avoided church ministry in order to avoid feeling less than, undervalued, or disrespected. It's been much easier to be a missionary in a female body, and maybe I haven't even honored myself and my body because of the choice to minister outside of the church. I've also reflected about my faith and how that intersects with my body, and I've easily come to the conclusion that faith is meant to be embodied. I experience spirituality in my body. I experience God in my body. In her book, Paul and Gender, Cynthia Long Westfall discusses how theologians have distorted the word flesh in Paul's writings. It's not surprising to me that male theologians in history, whose faith is embodied differently, have come to these conclusions and cemented them into practice for many years. The male experience of faith is lived and felt differently. And as Westfall says, it's often believed to be the human experience. But this misunderstanding has caused us to believe that the female flesh is mostly bad. According to Westfall, female bodies were and are considered weaker. Female bodies were directly connected to sexual immorality, even without action. But my female body is not bad or tainted or dirty. She deserves to be honored and valued. Westfall says that when circumcision was no longer required, other impurities coming from the body also disappeared. And because of that, bodies themselves wouldn't prevent people from full participation and service in the church. And I hope and pray that becomes completely true today. I hope that as a woman, I can be my full self and be honored in my body and for my body in all Christian spaces. I hope that as I work to support my body, the church would also support her. I hope that as I live and experience life and faith in my female body, she would be fully honored, fully appreciated, fully respected, fully loved, and fully valued. Woo! I love that. 
hearing it the second time, just as good, just as rich. And I want to suggest to you listeners to go back and listen to it again, and then listen to it again and let some of those words seep, seep, seep in. I heard you say this in class, and I don't even think you and I had ever talked, but I was like, I got to get a hold of that girl. I'm moved by that. She's got to share this on my podcast. And part of what moved me, I'll be honest, is that I have done a lot of thinking and research on the female body because I was a female minister. I am a female minister. And so without realizing it, I had to, my body was problematic and I, I had to figure out why, right? So I had to chase this whole idea of what, what is our body all about? And so the topic is really important to me and I've done multiple episodes here on body image. But I think the thing that really moved me is not only was it so well worded, um, but it was really brave of you. I felt like it was really quite personal um, to start talking about, I haven't always liked my body. I haven't always embraced my body. I think I may have held back from certain things because of my body. My body hasn't been welcomed. I mean, it's, it's a very vulnerable thing for us women to talk about our bodies. And so yeah. I, I absolutely loved that. Um, so when you shared that, I did think to myself, okay, there's a backstory here and I've got to know it. <laughs> so why, why, why talk about this? What's behind it? Yeah. So, um, in the past few years, um, myself and my family have had some significant injuries or traumas, um, in our bodies. So for me, um, I think I was 25 when I found out I had a herniated disc in my neck. Um, I was living in Kenya at the time and there was good healthcare. Um, but it was, you know, on the other side of a major city. And, um, then I was spending tons of time going to this hospital for physical therapy, mm -hmm. you know, spending hours at a time in physical therapy and then going all the way across town back to my house, um, with, you know, the hope of fixing my neck. And when that wasn't really working, I got a second opinion. Um, and that treatment worked for a couple of years, but I kind of discovered more recently that the root issue wasn't actually being treated. Um, and then a few months after I moved back to the United States, my dad had a series of strokes that started with a dissected artery in his neck, um, which they believe happened from him like cracking his neck. And so we kind of figured out that maybe like normal chiropractic care isn't something we should do if we wow. are like more susceptible to that happening. Right. Um, so, I mean, for one thing, his journey of healing helped me remember um, and maybe even learn how amazing our bodies can be and how they can hold us um, in the midst of trauma. Like, even though my dad experienced trauma in his body, um, his body was like holding him and working, you know, for him and for his improvement. Um, and it also helps us see how how necessary it is for us to care for our bodies and pay attention to them. Um, so my dad had two different kinds of strokes. The second two should have killed him, but he walked away with only hearing loss in one ear. Wow. Um, so I, so to me, that was just this really cool thing that happened in his body. Um, that should have been a lot more tragic. Um, but also him having strokes from that cause helped, us find a specific kind of chiropractic care um, that doesn't manipulate or like crack. Um, so I, like a year ago, found 
an office in um, Indiana where I live. It's the only one in the entire state, and it's like 20 minutes from my house. Um, but they are like holistic in their approach. And so in the last year since I found them, I have been spending a lot of time um, kind of looking at all those areas of my body and trying to support my full body so that my neck can be improved. Yep. Um, kind of the idea that, yeah, the issue is presenting in my neck, but there's so many other things um, contributing to that, like, lack of normalcy there. So um, I, I found myself frustrated often, um, again, spending hours and hours there doing different kinds of treatments that they recommended. Um, and there were many days when it felt like a waste of time. It's a, I mean, physical therapy, occupational therapy, acupuncture, chiropractic care, all of those are like very slow changes. Um, so I guess one day I was talking to my therapist about how frustrated I was with that. And, um, she recommended that I use that time, like laying on a table with acupuncture needles in my neck or, you know, in the time it would take me to do my physical therapy exercises every day, um, spend that time to intentionally build my body up and treat my body like a her instead of an it. Um, and you know, that, that helped me get like thinking about encouraging my body to keep going in the work that it was doing, um, in the work that she was doing. I started, you know, reminding her that it was possible to heal um, reminding her that she was worthy of the time and the money that I was spending um, to honor her and help her heal. So mm. um, I've been doing that work, you know, for the past year and um, really for the whole, I think I uh, found out about like needing to have surgery the second week of this past semester of this class. And so almost the entire semester, every day I was thinking about my body and how um, she didn't feel well. And I think the awareness being more like conscious of my body helps me figure that out sooner, um, that she wasn't feeling well. Um, and also helped me figure out like, okay, there's some things I can be doing until we can like get a treatment scheduled and get this resolved. Um, so I think again, I was frustrated with the amount of time I was needing to spend caring for her. And I just started reminding myself again, like she's worthy you know, you're worthy of this time that I'm spending to nourish you. Um, she's worthy of the extra rest. She is amazing for getting you through this yeah. season of illness. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, to actually answer your question, um, my body was reminding me every single day of the whole semester that um, she wasn't feeling well and she needed me to care for her intentionally. Um, I, and then I, when these... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, when these specific... Um, readings came up, it clicked for me. How many times before have I ignored my body when she was trying to tell me something and instead listened when, you know, people in the church were telling me certain things about her, um, to be a certain way, you know, be a certain size, serve in certain places, cover up certain ways. Um, I, I'm like a, I say a recovering purity culture kid. So, so sorry. We talked a lot about <laughs> bodies. Yeah. We talked a lot about bodies growing up. Um, but a lot of ignoring certain aspects of the body and, and ignoring specifically what it's like in a female body. Yeah. I, I do a, 
at some teaching on that. And one of the things I ask people is to think about what they learned from their parents about their body. Because the for a woman, um, the first 10 years of your life, most influenced about your body image um, is from the most dominant woman in your life. And then after that, of course, it's social media and all of that. And and then I asked them, so we, we put all the answers up on sticky notes and then they read it and it's toxic. I mean, it's just downright yeah. toxic. And then I said, okay, what did you learn about your body from the church? And believe it or not, it's just as toxic. And the church basically only says that our bodies are about sexuality or about sex. Mm-hmm. And they have nothing else to give us about what the body's about. And I think we need to ask bigger questions like, and Scott McKnight would would disagree with me, but um, you know, it says in Matthew that in the new heavens and new earth, uh, we won't be married. And I'm thinking we weren't we aren't going to be having children. Right? We won't be procreating. And so, and I think we're gendered when we get to the new heavens, and new earth, because when Jesus got up, he was still male, right? Like, so I think we're gendered. And so I think you know what what is the body all about if it's not just about having sex and giving birth to babies? They're you know like. And then I remind people like 365 days out of the year, I walk around in my female body and rarely I'm married, but rarely in that 365 days, 24 hours a day, do I have sex? You know, it's not like I'm having sex 365 days, 24 hours a day, right? So what am I doing with her the rest of the time? And so there's bigger questions to be asked, but sadly, I think um, the church doesn't give us a great, uh, a great narrative about her. Speaking of which, I loved that you spoke about her in second person. Um, that really caught me. I've never done that before. And yet, I think, I think it may have even been your reading right after that um, we were finished with school, basically class. I, a couple weeks later, I went to Peru and I was hiking. And it's the first time I've ever hiked a 16,000 16, foot mountain. And so it's low uh, oxygen, high altitude. And I was nervous and I have a torn meniscus. And it was, um, it was stunningly beautiful, the whole walk. Um, but the whole way I found myself saying this prayer to her, I kept saying to her, um, thank you for taking care of me. I promise I'm going to take care of you too. I'll make sure that I drink enough water. I'll make sure that I go slow. I'll make, right. And I just kept saying, thank you for taking care of me. Um, I'll take care of you too, you know? Um, and I've yeah. ha- had very much the same experience you had. I broke my back when I was younger. I did the cocktail of trying to figure out how to make it work. And I just wrestled with my body instead of leaning in to what was happening with her, you know? And yeah. um, it took me a long time to learn to live in my body well, just like you're describing and you're so much younger than me, so you're way ahead. But um, so tell me, you mentioned in this um intellectual work that you are trying to connect and listen to your body. Uh, you gave us some examples like, well, I'm on the table, which I love. You're at physical therapy. You're giving up all this time. And so you're meditating, basically, thanking her. What, what other ways could you help our listeners think about how to start to connect and listen to their bodies? Yeah. Um, I guess one thing by my therapist recommended early on was like cold therapy. Um, there's all kinds of research out there about it and, you know, various ways you can do it. For me, it's just been turning the um, temperature to the shower colder at certain parts of the day. Um, and there's something about that that makes my mind and body have more of a connection. Um, there's tons of like health benefits and physical benefits and like mental health benefits there, but 
um, that's just something I've, I've tried to remember to do as often as I can because it is like a quick jolt to your system. Um, and I, I couldn't even tell you, I couldn't even explain like the moment when I feel something different or whatever, but after a few months of doing that, um, I do notice a difference even in just like my mood after experiencing that. Um, but I think in this more recent season, I've just been aware of my body screaming at me. Um, so I felt actually the need to comfort her, calm her, um, but also figure out what does she need? How can I honor her? How can I care for her? Um, so I think sometimes that's just paying attention to how do I feel after I move my body or how do I feel after I eat something? Um, what is my body like experiencing in the day to day instead of ignoring? I mean, I think we subconsciously just ignore, we, we, we think of ourselves as just being in our bodies and, you know, we eat to survive, we sleep to survive. Um, but I, I've been trying to pay attention to those things and not just subconsciously participate in them. Um, even breathing sometimes I think makes a difference in that. Um, but you know, like how do I feel after I eat a meal? How do, how did that nourish my body? Um, taking the time to actually enjoy what I prepared instead of, you know, rushing to eat my lunch between meetings. Right. Um, how do I feel after I do a certain kind of workout? Maybe the next day my body needs to do yoga or rest instead. Um, maybe I need to take my laptop outside and sit in the sun and get vitamin D instead of, you know, sitting at my desk. So I think I've just been trying to reshape my thinking more as seeing my body as a companion um, and not just something that I have to deal with. Um, Or tolerate or as a problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want, I don't want her to scream at me to take care of her. That's not (laughs) how I would treat a friend or how I would want a friend to treat me. So in thinking about, my body as a companion, um, I think it's easier to want to take care of her, um, and nurture her. And, you know, I, I'm a very like black and white person. So when I listen to myself call my body a she, um, sometimes it sounds like a little woo woo to me, but (laughs) I, and honestly, like it took me a few weeks to start thinking of myself that way. Um, after my therapist, recommended it but I think the companion language helped me move past that a little bit more and I think that um you know my body is the home for my mind and my soul that's right and if my body isn't well then it's not possible for my mind and soul to be well too so I've noticed a lot of healing happen in my mind and in my soul um in the time also that I've been supporting my body better you know, I think the inside of my house can be beautiful and perfect, but if the roof is caving in and the siding is falling off, then eventually it doesn't matter if the inside is pretty, you know, right, like I think right. it has to be this cohesive thing for all parts to be healthy. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, when I was on staff at a church, I um, was the first woman to be asked to preach in that church. And so it was kind of a big deal in our area. Nobody else in the world cared, but, <laughs> you know, in your little local, like, um, 
world it mattered. But I remember the first time I got ready to preach. So it was going to be the first female ever on this stage of a church that's 45 years old. And um, there was so much conversation wrapped around my body. You know, uh, what was I going to wear? Don't wear anything above the ankles, right? And to, to make sure that I wore a jacket because I'm large chested and we don't want anybody to recognize that I have breasts. And, you know, don't wear anything too tight because we don't want women, you know, we don't want the world to know that I actually have some hips. And then, you know, like hair, I have long curly hair and it was like, how are you going to wear it up? And they wanted me to kind of keep it up. And, you know, all, it was just like so fascinating to me. And I remember thinking to myself, surely they're not asking all the men who come and fill in the pulpit for the senior pastor, these questions, right? Like it was interesting to me. No one was asking me, are you going to teach heresy? Everybody was just asking, how was I going to wear my hair? Um, Mm. And I think too often um, in our faith communities, we learn uh, through, through specific verbal messages, like the purity culture, we said it, we taught it, but then also uh, nonverbal messaging that our bodies, our female bodies are problematic and that we're actually often asked to live disembodied as a disembodied being or dualistic, right? Like my mind and soul matters, my body doesn't. Even though I try to tell people, and I love that you emphasize this, your mind is actually material and it is in your body. (laughs) You know, like it exists in this body and it's intertwined with the body. I mean, just like what you said, you get sick in your mind, it impacts your body. You get sick in your body, impacts your mind and your soul. We're connected. Um, And, you know, I remember all that to do. And I remember at that point making a decision, like a stake in the ground that I would not let others demand that I separate my work from my body, that I would only offer them together in a female body. Um, so you mentioned growing up as a, a double pastor kid who for your parents, they did a great job. It sounds like, um, I can't wait to tell them that, uh, but what, and you mentioned that you were brought up in the purity, purity, purity culture. And so were my kids. Um, and we've had conversations about that later on. And I've had to apologize that there were things they were being taught. I didn't even know. Had I known, yeah. I would not have been okay with it. Um, right. So tell me what you learned about your body. I mentioned what I think the church teaches us about our bodies, but what do you think you learned? Yeah, I mean, um, I am from a church movement that is very focused in um, New Testament scripture and recreating, you know, the current church structure um, and belief system, modeling it after New Testament Christianity. And so um, I, I feel like so much of my experience was um, more like mind focused, like we weren't even paying attention to our bodies there was no connection between faith and body really um, because it was just so scripture focused, which I feel like is so mind heavy. Um, I don't, I don't really even remember there being experiential things that use like the five senses. Um, so even ha- like no use of our body to understand things on a deeper level. Um, even things that were meant to be experiences were still so like scripture based that it was still so mind heavy 
Well, like um, communion would be one of those, right? Like instead of yeah, it being exactly. a meal where you're talking and spending time together, you have this little cup and you peel it open yep. <laughs> and the little, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, honestly, to this day, I still feel a disconnect there. Like the, the meaning that it seems like should be there isn't as much there. Um, but when I was in high school, both of my parents um, started more like intentional and um, within community, like a spiritual formation experience. And they let me see some of that experience. Um, and I feel like that was a really big turning point for me personally and for them um, in how like faith can be embodied. Um, so, you know, they were going on retreats where they were practicing spiritual disciplines. Um, there was one retreat that they went on that was specifically focused on the body what does it mean to be gendered what does it mean to be um in the BIPOC community what is it what is sexuality like how how does that intersect with spirituality um so they they let me see those vulnerable things that they were experiencing as well um so I think the other thing for me is seeing my mom's journey Um, she served in various roles in the church, um, mostly in the worship arts area. She started out kind of programming and producing services. Um, but eventually she was leading their multi-site worship arts team. And I mean, she was good at that work. Like I'm not saying she was too good to do that or it wasn't the right gift fit. Um, she, she did a great job at that and did it for 16 years, but, um, she is a preacher and those gifts were shut down mm. for her. And so, I mean, literally for many years, she wrote communion meditations that male elders or pastors would deliver on Sunday morning. Um, so it was her words, but no one could know because of her body. She literally couldn't be the one to say her own words. She couldn't present her own words. Um, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. She, I know other churches know. that do that. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, she also, you know, was invited to share with the elders, all male elders, um, you know, talking to them about being a woman in ministry, talking to them about her experience, um, her education preparation, um, you know, just giving them her own experience as they were discerning whether or not um, she could use her, her gifts in full. And, I mean, even further, if she could be herself in full, Um so she paved the way for that significantly, but she never was invited to preach a sermon on her own. Wow. Um, she preached as part of a sermon there with, you know, a team of people where they each had a few minutes of it. Um, and then her and my dad preached a sermon together one Sunday. Um, so, you know, all that was unfolding for me during my high school and college years. You know, for the most part, that's when she had been there long enough kind of to prove herself. Um and she, I mean, she honestly was just so gracious in letting me walk that road with her to some extent. And then um, in my own experience in college, you know, how I just realized how much of a, because of my mom's experience in my own educational journey and even the, like, oppression that I experienced in my classes, um, I think it's just when I became aware of that disconnect between body and faith and 
it just made zero sense to me that my mom could be called to preach, but literally never get to use those gifts in the church because of her body. Um, and for myself, like how, how, like how and why would I be preparing myself to serve in a faith community? Um, but not be like equipped or invited to show up in the same way that my male classmates were. So, um, that's kind of when I shifted gears towards Kenya. And I think, I do think God was calling me to that. Um, but it's, it struck me in thinking about this, that missions is, is very much like flesh Christianity. Um, we talk about that being like, okay, we're going to go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, so that very much is like a body and faith connection. And for me, it was like absolutely a five senses experience. Um, I think it's hard to be in a slum community and not, um, utilize all five senses, but, um, I think that was absolutely a space where as well, my female body could serve the kingdom of God. Um, which ultimately is what I wanted. Um, and don't you think, think that like women like you have many women like you have figured out ways to serve Jesus in maybe less uh, conventional church way because they, because they were limited they understood that. So they'll pop out into other ways. Like one of, one of the things I noticed when I moved to Austin, that, that there was a ton of women's, I don't want to call them ministries cause that's wrong, but women organizations like parachurch women organizations, if you will, that were sprouting up all over here. And what I realized when I got all of those women together and said, what am I seeing is that in Austin, the conservative evangelical churches uh, push against, they get, they are actually more conservative than I would say Dallas equivalent is because the culture in which they swim in is more liberal. And I use that term very lightly because I'm from New York. And so there is no such thing as something really liberal in Texas, but anyway, um, (laughs) it's a relative term, you know? Um, And so what I realized is these women in Austin didn't have space in their faith communities, their traditional church, local church communities to be able to serve. And they were very gifted. And so what they did is they popped out in other ways in which they could do it, which is kind of what you did by going to be a missionary. And it's acceptable to have women go be missionaries, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's tons of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even working in an organization, a missions organization, um, and historically, missions has been, like, very female-heavy. Female um, and that's true. I mean, today we have a summer internship program. This summer we have just under 40 interns, and probably three-quarters of them are women. Are women. Um, Again, yeah, it's because have, it's, we'll find ways. If we can't do it in the church, women will find ways often yep. to use their gifting yep. for Jesus and unconventional or, and when I say unconventional, I mean, missions work is very conventional, but it's not the church, right? It's outside yeah. the church. We'll do it. I mean, and you see it all the time. That's well, I won't even start naming all the women's stuff that's out there. That's why it's out there, right? That's why yep. they're on social media because they can't actually have that voice in their own local community church they attend. So, um, yep. Yep. So I love that you say you've came, you've come to see your faith intersect with your body. I love that your parents took you at such a young age to like really think about gender and body and sexuality 
and sex, all of those things um, that we should be talking to our kids of faith about from a very young age and probably do it better than we... we don't talk about it because we're uncomfortable with it, but I also think we don't even know how to talk about it. We got to do a better job. Um, yeah. But can you just elaborate on what difference you think it makes to have lived with your faith and your body intersecting? And then, like, what's one thing you would say to people listening about how to move toward that, integrating our faith and our bodies? Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think the first thing is, I, I don't think that it can be separated. Um, I think we've been like fooling ourselves for many years, but I don't actually think that it can be. Um, part of that is because, you know, my body holds my mind and my soul. Um, how can I experience God without her? Like we, we are together. Um, my body and my soul and my mind. Um, and I, I mean, I think, you know, oftentimes, and for all of my life, even before I thought about this kind of thing, my body was physically taking me to meet God somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, my body was physically going to church. It was physically going to youth group. It was physically going to Bible studies. My hands turned to the pages of my Bible, you know. Um, my eyes read the words on the page. So I think, I think even though I was raised in a way that separated um, I was raised in a church community that separated those things. I, I don't actually think that was reality or like a possibility. Um, and the other thing I've been thinking about is that Jesus modeled something different for us. Um, I, I mean, for one, Jesus became God in the flesh. Like there is, there's no way to look at that without an integration of body and faith. And understanding um, the importance of it, right? I mean, there was, yeah. a, he could have came as anything else. He chose to come in for sure. a female body, a male body. Yeah. That's significant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think in the work Jesus did, I mean, most of the time when he was healing somebody, you know, blind Bartimaeus, he, he heals his physical, whatever, disability. And, um, says your faith has healed you so the same thing is true he said something similar to the woman who was bleeding um or even honestly the we i think a lot about this with like holistic ministry kind of work people don't care if you're going to preach it then if you can't also meet a physical need that they have and i think he just models that for us when he fed the multitude um he sees all the people there and realizes how long he's going to be talking to them and he tells the disciples like how are we going to feed them? So, I mean, I don't really feel like there's many moments when Jesus did separate body and faith. Like it always has been integrated. Um, and I think it's the church kind of who's split that for us. Um, yeah. I've always loved yeah. the feeding of the 5,000. I've, I've told that story before and, in doing so, I help people think about, you know, it tells us that there's 5,000 people, but in another gospel, it says, yeah, but there's also women and children. And so actually you probably have anywhere between eight and 10,000. So then I tell people, okay, I want you to visual, visualize that this is like an arena with 10,000 people in it. And Jesus is in the beginning, is in the front, and he's got 12 people, probably a little more, 
but carrying baskets back and forth. And we know from Mark's gospel, those baskets are small because it's a word that's used to describe a, a smaller basket. And I, I think about how incarnate this lesson is that they are to feed these people and they are to come to Jesus and get more and then walk and then come back and walk back to Jesus. And then they got to walk again, maybe like a mile and then walk back to Jesus. And then, you know, like, so there's this physical, I mean, they're, ex- they had, their legs had to have hurt by the time they finished with something Jesus was trying to let them know, which was, hey, if you're going to feed my people, you're going to have to keep coming back to me for what you need for nourishment for you and them, right? Coming back. And they physically learned it in their body. I mean, they felt it. They woke up in the morning and their thighs hurt, you know? (laughs) And they, their body let them know what they were learning. It wasn't an intellectual ascent. They felt he actually put their bodies to, to, to experience it. So yeah, I've, I, I, and I always think of the old Testament, right? We have the temple, we have the cutting of the animals. So we have noise, we have the smell of blood, we have physically walking to get there. I mean, it's just our totally an embodied faith. And we have created spaces now where we ask um, congregates to be disembodied and then women even more so. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Well, Kylie, I really appreciate you giving me this time. I know that you're in the middle of healing. And so I really appreciate you saying, yes, I'll set aside. And I loved what you wrote and I want our women and men who are listening to be able to hear it and see it. So if you're willing, would you be able to like pass it to me with your copyright on it? So no one takes it or owns it. I would love to put it on our um, Facebook page so that other people can read it and re-listen if they want to, that kind of thing. Would we be able to do that? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you for all of you out there listening. I am so grateful for you too. And may you learn to live in your body. And I love, come on, we can start saying she and not feel too freaked out. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody.